Hey everyone, you're listening to On the House with Spartan, an ad-free podcast brought to you by a full-service turnkey company. I'm your host, Lindsay Davis, CEO and co-founder of Spartan Invest. On this show, we talk about all things real estate, from market patterns, industry insight, construction, property management, and other investment avenues. We hope you'll join as we dive into today's episode of On the House with Spartan. All right, welcome back to another episode of On the House with Spartan Invest. I am really excited today. I have a special guest, Chris Seveny with 7E. And Chris has over 25 years of real estate experience, and he's joining us today to talk about 7E. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Lindsay. How are you today? Good, good. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so where where did the name Seven E come from? We'll just uh, we'll just start okay. there and and tell us where that name came from, and then and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, I love when people ask this question because then they get the aha moment after I explain it. So look at the first five letters of my last name and how my name is pronounced. So S E, my last name. Oh, <laughs> a short wow. pronunciation of my name. So. You know, which is interesting because I do have people uh, who say Chris Savini with seven E investments. And I'm like, it's seven E. So it's just, you know, wow. it's a play on oh my, my last gosh. name. Oh, my gosh. That is um, hilarious. That is so awesome. I, I'm seriously, that is an <laughs> aha moment. I love it. Now, um, I, I'm really sad. So tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll we'll dive in. Yeah. So I am a real estate junkie. Uh, I love real estate. Uh, I've been involved in it. I'm going to age myself right now. But uh, when I graduated college in the late 90s, uh, I started out, uh, I went to school for civil engineering, but I worked for a large commercial general contractor up in the Northeast. And, you know, it was all, we were building office, condos, multifamily. And I, I like to explain it. I'm the guy in the white shirt and tie on a construction site that looks like they're doing nothing. Uh, so that was my job, which we actually do a lot, which we did all the back office management, financials, contracts, and uh, having that engineering degree with problem solving came in very handy. Uh, the challenge with working in that type of environment, though, is you're working 60, 70 hours a week. You have no time for anything else. Uh, and after 15 years, I got burnt out and went over to what you know people on that side call the dark side which is went to go work for a real estate developer. So very different thought process, philosophy, uh, and really thinking about more risk mitigation, big picture, but also the development side is much more entrepreneurial. So uh, I was running a multifamily division and the gentleman I reported to uh, asked me like, you know, what do you have for real estate? And I said, nothing. You know, I'd recently gotten divorced, you know, basically I'm like starting all over again. He's like, you got to build that portfolio. So we uh, built our primary residence in 2013. I acted as the GC, got a boatload of equity right out of the deal, started buying rentals uh, and renovating them and holding on to them. So kind of turnkey rentals, which uh, you're, I know you're really familiar with. <laughs> just uh, a little. <laughs> yeah. But you know, when you don't have a team and it's just you, your spouse with two little kids, uh, it is a lot of work. And I'd Absolutely. much rather have someone else like Lindsay and her team do that for me and just buy it. Uh, so what ended up happening though is, you know, it was also ultra competitive and you don't have time to find anything on the market. Uh, I stumbled into mortgage note investing, which 
most people don't know about. We can talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, and over six years later, I left my W-2 to create a mortgage note fund and now run a company with um, eight other team members. And our goal is to raise $150 million for our fund. I'm really excited to dive more into 7E and mm -hmm. and really mortgage note investing because Chris and I actually spoke together recently at a conference in Nashville. It was a Wealth Without Wall Street conference. Both of us are members of of their mastermind. And, and I just, I loved hearing about your model, of course, of being a slight real estate junkie as well. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was fascinating. So just start with what is, what is mortgage note investing? Yeah. So... Uh, the, you know, people kind of, when I mention this to people, it kind of like they start scratching their head. Um, so most people have a mortgage on a property and I'm just going to use Wells Fargo as the example. Uh, banks in many instances actually don't hold on to their mortgages. They get sold in many instances. And when you get that letter that says, Hey, please send your payment to this new company. That's because your mortgage got sold. Um, and you don't even know it. You're just like, okay, this is where I just send payments to. Uh, but what we do is a little more specific where we're buying the loans that are in default. So people who are behind on their mortgages, banks and other funds don't like to hold on to those assets. So we can go in and we buy those at a discount. So we don't pay full value for them. Just like, you know, when you're buying real estate, you know, if the property needs rehab, you're not paying ARV value for it. You're paying, you know, below market you're, because it's discounted because it needs work. We're doing the same thing, but instead of the property, it's more with the actual person or the borrower. Man. And, then, and so how do, how far in default are you, mm -hmm. are these notes that you're purchasing? Yeah. So that's a great question. So I like to ask the people who interview me, like, what do you think the average default time on one of our loans would be? You know, I guess I, I would assume maybe six months. Yeah. So maybe. Yeah. So that's what most people think is like, if you miss a payment, like, you know, the mortgage police are going to come beat down your door, you know, enrage you and start pulling you out of your house. Um, our average delinquency is about three to four years. Oh my gosh. I like that just blows my mind. Especially as a as a company that that purchases foreclosed homes, you know, it, I just I would not have realized that that the default would be that long. That's the average. So we oh have four in our portfolio right now that go back to pre-2013. So, I mean, it's it is mind-blowing when people realize that and you know, it's so interesting when, you know, we hear people, you know, tell these stories about, you know, and also things like, you know, the government has subsidy programs because of COVID that the states have like COVID relief funds. Right. So we have borrowers who haven't paid since like 2012 getting COVID relief and they can get up to, and this is what, you know, as a taxpayer will get you very upset as a lender doesn't get us upset. Um, they can get up to $50,000 in assistance to pay wow. their mortgage because of, quote, COVID relief because they are impacted by COVID, even though they must have the greatest foresight in the planet because they knew, you know, six years before COVID occurred that this was coming because they hadn't paid the six years prior to COVID. Man. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we saw that definitely on the rental side as well, the COVID mm -hmm. 
it helped as a taxpayer. It hurt, yeah. right? Because all yeah. of these, all of these people that have been in eviction or mm-hmm. were not paying, were now getting COVID relief, even though mm-hmm. it was prior to COVID. So we we saw mm-hmm. a lot of similar. But then, as as a uh, as an investor, it definitely helped. It helped uh, stabilize cash flow. So um, that's 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 crazy. I don't think they had that good foresight, though. I think that's just yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. that would have been amazing. Uh, so. What do you do after you buy them? So you you've purchased these these notes that are average three four years in default. What do you do now? Yeah, so a few misconceptions that I also want to kind of tag along with that is most people don't wake up one day and say I'm not going to pay my mortgage. You know, most people have you know one of three or four incidences occurred to them, which is job loss, health issue. Um, you know, or, or death in the family or pr- pretty much, or divorce. Those are kind of like the four primary. And when we buy a loan, we get to kind of see the history. So we understand that situation. Uh, so we try and work out some type of new agreement with them. And we're able to do that because unlike the bank that may have given a hundred thousand dollar loan, so they're in it for a hundred thousand, but they understand the time and effort to try and recoup that. And they're not as experienced in it may take too long you know, that's what our expertise is. So we can come in, buy it at, at that discount, which gives us more flexibility in working on new payments plans with them. And the reality is, especially in today's environment, which, uh, you know, there's not an abundant amount of housing, rent prices have shot through the roof. Many of the interest rates these borrowers have are lower than today's market value. So they're probably paying less than they'd pay in rent. It's in their best interest and our best interest to try and work out a deal with them. So we only foreclose on probably less than like 10% of our properties. Um, So with all of that kind of in the back of your mind, we have a servicing company that reaches out to them and gets a new financial application for them so we can see where they stand to try and work out some type of arrangement to get them, bring them to the table to try and work out a new agreement. So what is the, what's about the average, um, I guess, note value that you pay? Like, is it about mm-hmm. 60%, 70%? Yeah, uh, it's anywhere from, you know, 40 to 75%, you know, so basically anywhere from a 25% discount to 60%. Mm-hmm. And that really is state dependent uh, because certain states are what's called judicial, which you have to go through the court systems to foreclose. And that is very expensive and takes a very long time. And time value of money is you'd want a bigger discount because of the risk involved. Um, states, you know, like Alabama, for example, um, you know, foreclosures are pretty quick in those areas. And um, so there you can be a little more competitive because, you know, the outcome uh, will come to a resolution sooner. So you purchase all across the country. Yeah, we're, I've been in over 40 states. The... You know, I joke the only states I've been in are like Alaska, Hawaii, and I apologize if people live in these states, but states we typically don't see notes like Montana, the Dakotas, um, you know, Rhode Island's too small of a state, but, you know, those certain states as well. Uh, We've learned from experience the states we don't want to be in, like, you know, Maine, New York, uh, because those timelines can just be, you know years. And we're talking like Maine can be like three to five years, New York down by the borough, by the city can be up to five years. So 
yeah, I don't want to have loans um, closing out when my kids start to go to college or my right. youngest does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really long time. And, I'm, and we've talked a lot about just the, the pace in which some of this stuff moves in, comparatively speaking from state to state. And that Alabama is and a majority of the southeast is very different. Uh, than mm-hmm. a lot of other a lot of other states. So, mm-hmm. uh, go back really quick. Did you say that you take possession of only about ten percent of the property? So ninety percent, you work out a, a payment plan with the current owners. Yep. Wow. So about, yeah. And what's interesting is, in some instances, you know, and this goes to sometimes like the ineffic- ineffectiveness of banks. We have bought in loans or bought uh, loans which. The borrowers were, you know, had the property listed for sale and it was actually pending and they were behind, but they were just selling it. So we bought it and then got a full payoff, like within a month's period of time. Uh, We've had loans where the borrowers were calling in and saying, like, you know, you're not accepting my payments or, you know, can you give me the mailing address? I don't know where to mail them or your ACH system isn't working and the people don't get back to them. Uh, We've seen that happen. Uh, We've seen notes where, the borrower might be $15,000 behind and they want to give 10,000 and the lender's like, no. And we're like, we'll take 10,000 and work out a new plan. Uh, the moment a lender, you know, that owns the loan determines like, okay, I want to sell this. Typically they stop all activity on that loan. So right. even though the borrower could be wanting to get more involved, they're like, we're selling this. We don't want to deal with you unless you're basically paying us in full. We want no, we don't have the time or bandwidth. We're busy dealing with other loans. Um, so they just kind of just stick it in a file, essentially. Crazy. So I, I was reading too um, that 7E uses a proprietary assessment strategy to determine which notes to purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you yep. talk a little bit about that and and how that works? Yeah. Uh, so what we do is, A, we've created uh, pretty in-depth financial models, basically taking uh, a lot of our historical data. Um, you know, we bought over 600 loans. So we know timing in different states because it really can vary based on the attorney and who you use. So we've been able to take that data, but also all the data we get from the prior lender. And what we like to do is paint a 3D picture of the person, the predicament, and the property. And what we mean by that is, you know, we can't go knock on the door and say, hey, can I see the inside of your property where your lender? I mean, if my lender came to knock on my door, I'd say no. Um, so we only can look at it from the outside, uh, but we actually hire inspectors to go from the street do- view and do like visual inspections of the property because we also don't want to trespass on someone's property uh, to get an idea of what that property looks like. And that's the most important thing. If it looks like junk on the outside, more than likely the inside is going to be uh, in dilapidated condition. So if it's nice on the outside, it still might be junk on the inside, but more instances and not, you know, you, you can take that risk. The more important thing that I think that differentiates, everybody does that. What a lot of people don't do is look at the person or the predicament. Uh, if we see this person's file bankruptcy six times, you know, guess what? There's a number seven coming. So we're just probably, we're not going to buy that loan. Or if we see that person as a, we had somebody have a 18 page criminal rap sheet. Wow. It was the longest one I've ever seen. It was insane. Um, so 
we'll look at that and basically be like, okay, that's not somebody who's going to want to come to the table and do business with us. And then the third is, well, you know, that predicament. Why are they in this situation? Uh, Sometimes, you know, was it because of death? Was it because of divorce? Was it because of job loss? Did they get another job? Um, I mean, we've seen op- opportunities where there was a single mo- uh, mother of four kids and the husband passed away. And literally she admits like she can't afford that property, but she wants somebody, something to happen. Like on those loans, we, act, we won't buy them because there's no good end situation where I do not want to own a loan. You know, our business model wouldn't allow us to probably keep that person in the house. And I don't want to throw a, um, you know, a single mother of four out on the street who just lost her husband. So I know a lot of people think of banks um, and people who do this as kind of like the big bad. We just want to close on your property. Uh, you know, I've been there, done that in the sense of I've owned real estate. I'm doing, and I love real estate and I love owning assets, but I don't do this to get people's property. Um, we do it to try and work out the best situation. And based on that, nine out of 10 times, it's actually more profitable for us to work out an arrangement and to have to foreclose, then evict, um, and then all the risk that comes with that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I'm really glad that you said that about kind of the big bad too, because we buy foreclosures as well. And it's never, I, I, I love real estate as well. And I, we always try to work out a deal if the property is still occupied. I mean, very similar in that we're trying to, Hey, give them cash for keys, pay moving costs or stuff like that. Like really just trying to work with people that might, may have been, may have found themselves in, in a bad situation. And Plus, honestly, you just talk about the inefficiency of the bank, just the the high level numbers and that you only take possession of about 10 percent. Yet mm-hmm. these notes are three to four years in default. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so the deals that you guys are making are clearly working. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just crazy. I, those are really, really interesting numbers, um, especially not great on on the bank side. <laughs> but uh, so how, how does how does somebody get started? Like, how do you, what, what is your barrier to entry? Yeah, so it's interesting because unlike traditional real estate where, you know, it does have that higher barrier to entry. Now you could have a $250,000 home, but somebody may only owe $10,000 on that property. You know, there's, you can buy performing loans, which loans people are paying. Um, and a lot of people do that, for example, with their IRA or some type of retirement funds. Um, you know, you can also buy non-performing loans as well, but that's, what's great about the space too, is, you know, it's not, you could buy a $15,000 loan. Now, if you went to buy a $15,000 property, you know, you'd expect that there's a lot of issues with it, but I have some $15,000 loans on $175,000 property. And, you know, it might've paid, you know, $10,000, $12,000 for it because it's performing, So it actually does have a significantly lower barrier to entry than traditional real estate. Now, the closest comparison that people might be familiar with would be tax lien investing, you know, Mm -hmm. um, where that also has a very low barrier because you're just paying off the taxes. The difference there is you have zero control over really what that taxpayer does to pay their taxes. Um, In note investing, on the distress side, you know, you're in the driver's seat, you know, you're in control because unless they pay everything up front, which typically they can't, you know, you're in control to negotiate the terms that you're looking for. So really kind of your, your cost to entry really just depends on which note you choose to Mm -hmm. invest in. Yep. 
Which one, exactly. which note, which mortgage note would you say is like a safer or better returns? Uh, well, this safer is always probably performing. the opposite, right? Probably <laughs> yeah. the safest oh, one for, doesn't have as yeah. good a return. No, yeah. So the safest one, of course, is a performing loan with equity. The highest risk is a non-performing where the borrower is underwater on the property. Now, if they owe 200 and house is only worth 150, um, every dollar you spend on that loan is basically getting thrown in the trash because you're not going to recover it. So you have to make sure that you buy that at a significant discount. And what happens sometimes is, you know, when you get some of these lists of assets, they may say, like, here's a perfect example. We had an asset that they claimed was worth $300,000. And the house next door literally sold for $300,000. Same size, same house, same everything. The one next door was completely updated. The one that, with the loan uh, has been, it was a kind of a vacation home. So it basically had kind of been sitting vacant for about six years. Uh, it, had, it had a gambrel roof. And on the gambrel side, um, the roof, part of it got ripped off and you could see inside the house and there was no flooring in the house. There's no bathroom in the house. So, um, and this is actually one that uh, I have a family member that lived nearby. So they actually went and looked at it and essentially it probably needed about hundred plus thousand in work. So originally, you know, they owed about 300,000 and the house was worth three hundred thousand. So we bid about $190,000, you know, 60 cents on the dollar roughly. And after we came back and said, hey, this thing needs all this work, it's probably worth 175 to 200. We dropped our bid down to about $100,000. And they came back and basically sent them all the pictures. And they came back and said, no, we still think it's worth 300. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, not, you know, we're not pushing this one. And, you know, we just walk away from it. But and see, you know, those, of course, are the highest risk because if somebody just would have said, oh, yep, it's worth 300 and I paid 180 for it, then they go spend 10,000 to foreclose, take it back. They're in it for 200 grand and maybe they'll get 175 for it. Plus, they'll have to, you know, make sure to protect it during that entire time as well. Hmm. So, um, and once you, once you take possession, do you, you guys, is that what you do is you just turn and sell them? Do you fix them up? Do you hold them of that 10%? No, we like to sell, we like to sell them to people like you, um, <laughs> investors or, you know, companies like that. And the reason why it is, you know, I've renovated properties from close and from afar, you know, we might only, you know, if that's our only foreclosure in that area, you know, we're not going to be efficient to get good numbers, good renovation, good eyes on that property you know, we could go spend 50, a hundred thousand renovating this thing that we probably wouldn't make any money on, or we make such a little bit. Why take that risk? And, you know, if we had 20 properties in an area, that's a different story. But when you have a one-off in that area, it's not worth our time or effort. And that's where, you know, typically investors like, you know, yourself will come in and say, Hey, we'll buy this. And we've worked with investors where, Hey, we sold it outright or, Hey, we'll do seller financing. Well, we'll carry the note for you while you renovate it and then just pay it off when you sell it and maybe give us a little more money for it. But at that point in time, you're not coming out of, you know, it's $100,000 property. You're not coming out $100,000 cash out of pocket up front. You know, we'll put zero down, but maybe you pay one fifteen for it, but then pay us in six months or a year so you can take the cash you have to renovate it. So we can be extremely creative, uh, which is, I think, another... Uh, 
you know, another benefit to what we do. It's very true. And that a lot of investors um, who are trying to purchase and renovate in far away and, and they have these one-offs and stuff, it is, it is very challenging. We have a lot of investors that have done it and then reach out and like, okay, I'm done. Can you take this house? And we're like, yeah. no, we we can't. We're not going to take it mid renovation, and uh, you know, with a slew of issues. So I very much agree with with that point. <laughs> not really anything to do with seven E, but it's true. No. I, um, I would. I was going to say I would bet more than fifty percent of those people that reach out to you lost money on that deal or are going to lose money. I bet it's higher uh, than that. I think I'm being conservative. Renovating from afar is extremely challenging to make money. It is. It is. It's very difficult. And one of the biggest questions that our sales team, when they're talking to investors that are looking at that, they're like, well, have you ever, have you ever renovated your house? Have you ever hired anybody to do work at your house? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did my kitchen or something like, how hard was it to stay on top of, of that project? And that's in your house. <laughs> and so, yeah, doing that from states and states away, it's, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the, um, is the average return? that your investors or the the clients you work with, what what do they see usually? Yeah. So with our investors, um, you know, they typically will see anywhere from an eight to eleven percent return. Uh so um, you know, within our returns, of course, a little, you know, little higher um overall between performing notes typically at about 10 to 12 percent. Non-performing, you want to be um closer to, you know, 18 plus. Um, you know, it's also going to weigh in that risk factor as a lender, we're not taking on any debt. So unlike, I'll just use a multifamily syndication, of course, you know, the returns on paper are going to show much higher, uh, but they're also getting 60, 65% leverage on that deal, um, where we don't have any leverage. So our investors, they have preferred equity and they're kind of, they're it. So, um, there's no debt financing that could come in if things went bad, that could step in and take the asset from us and our investors. And the other component to it is like our loan to value, um, because a lot of the loans we buy are from, you know, 2010 to 16. We don't typically buy anything that was recent because I think prices are extremely escalated today. You know, our average loan balance is about 150,000, but the average property value is about 350. So, you know, we've got a, you know, 40% 40% loan to value with no debt. So we like to think that um, compared to some other offerings, um, you know, we have a very nice risk profile. Of course, you know, I can't, we don't, can't guarantee anything just like, you know, the whole game of no guarantees and I'm not going to compare, you know, which, which one's better, which one's not. It's very different for different investors on where they are at life. So crystal, crystal ball, where do you, uh, where do you see kind of real estate headed? Do you foresee more defaults in the future just with the escalated prices? Or what, what do you think the next uh, three to five years holds? Yeah, great question. Uh, and I love talking about this topic. Uh, and you know, none of us will know whether we're right or wrong. But one of the interesting things is, you know, we get to see the tea leaves before everybody else because, um, you know, we're seeing people sell typically after they go in default. So we're seeing kind of where defaults are headed. Overall, the government's going to tell you defaults are at an all-time low. And that's really you know, interesting because that's just like saying foreclosures during COVID were all-time lows because you couldn't foreclose. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's just like, uh, so 
you know, the government programs are running dry. The state programs are running dry. And if you look at credit card debt, auto debt delinquencies, interest rates, which I don't think are going to be fluctuating. I mean, they'll fluctuate, but we're not going back down the three. Uh, you know, unfortunately, most Americans are awful at financial management and planning. So I do think we're going to see an uptick in defaults um, because a lot of people do have that equity. They have the bankruptcy play where they can file bankruptcy. And I believe sometimes bankruptcy isn't included in those default numbers because when you file bankruptcy, it technically brings your loan current and you know everything that's passed due gets rolled into that plan. But I absolutely think we're going to start seeing um, an increase in defaults and we're already starting to see it. Uh, you know, we track a lot of data and analytics and um, we're seeing today um, a few hundred million dollars on average a week in defaulted loans coming across our plate. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's like people ask how big the industry is. I mean, the mortgage market's $16 trillion. Um, you know, right now we're at like, two and a half percent default rate, which is still about 300 billion um, in defaulted loans. But that's only the ones the government tracks. There's seller financing and private loans and everything else that is out there as well. So yeah, and on average between those and performing loans, we see like 300 million a week. It's insane, the number of loans. And then the other thing we're seeing a lot of are loans, which are called scratch and dents, which... Um, so again, Fannie Mae buys a lot of loans, but they have to meet really strict criteria. And what we're finding, and what happens is a mortgage lender, not a bank, like a lender, they'll originate the loan, collect their points. They have kind of a line of credit from a bank that will fund it to them. So they turn around and sell it to Fannie. So they get their money back and they make their origination fees. Um, but what we're seeing is a lot of those are getting kicked out because, they originate the loan, but it takes Fannie Mae, say, 120 days to buy it. The borrower may miss a payment during that time, or they realize that some of the documentation was wrong, or they miss a car payment during that time. So all of a sudden, it kicks them out of Fannie Mae. So you're seeing a lot of these banks, or I'm sorry, these mortgage companies now, like, uh-oh, I now have this loan that the person missed a payment. Now what do I do with it? So there's a lot of those starting to get sold and they have to sell those at a discount. So they're losing a lot of fees. And that's where you're seeing some of these mortgage companies that are consolidating or going out of business. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a I mess agree. in my I mean, mind. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> it, it is coming. Right? The, like you said, all of the leading indicators are are pointing towards a, a higher default and in the in the coming future, just with the mass, just with the debt alone that the average American holds right now. And Chris, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Um, he has a podcast, Creating Wealth Simplified, if you want to hear more. And Chris, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, how what's the best way? Yeah, email me. It's chris at the number seven, letter E, investments.com. Our website is 7E Investments, number seven, letter E, investments.com. Uh, those are... Probably the two best ways. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on all the social media channels as well. But uh, the best is probably email me because I'm an inbox zero guy. And uh, that's uh, where I focus all my time and attention. Sometimes the LinkedIn messages uh, take a little bit longer for me to get back to. Yeah. And your name, 
uh, alone is going to help everybody remember. It's like Chris 70 <laughs> with 7E. So yes. that's the, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. I really appreciate it. I love your business model and I could, we could nerd out on all the data for a long time, but I, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't want to make the podcast that long. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Thanks for having me today, Lindsay. It's been a pleasure and hope to see you up at a future event in the near future. All right, Chris, we'll see you later. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to learn more, check us out online at SpartanInvest.com. Until next time, this is On the House with Spartan.